0: Um, confirmation probably looks a little bit different today than it did when I went through, but we, we're dealing with the same stuff and we're getting into the Apostles' Creed and you know we stand up in front of church and sit in our pews and we're like, I, I believe in God and the Father, blah, 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 blah. And uh, so just slow that down and stop for a minute and what are we really what are we really saying? We're focusing in on that, that you know, the article that, that really takes Jesus Christ. So we, we did, we spent some time. Uh, and I have a purpose for telling this story, talking a little bit about the most important question you will answer in your life, and it's the the, the Matthew question: you know, Who do you say I am? And uh, in our world today, it's it's easy to say, Well, I think you're a way. I think you're a way to to heaven. Uh, there's other ways, but I think you're a way to heaven. And of course, Jesus really makes it clear: No, there there's no other way except through uh, through me. So we talked a lot about that and the kids get in groups and think, think a little bit about that. Um, it got me thinking a little bit about what does it mean to uh, enter into the church? Um, this is kind of where we left off last week as we're in a chapter 15 uh, here in Romans. How do you enter into the church or how do you become church? And as you answer that question, you, know, you go all the way back to um, the, the, the earliest... <laughs> Uh, days where Jesus takes his disciples and gives us this, you know, these words that we call today the Great Commission. Uh, how do I enter into the church? Well, Jesus used the term mattheates, make disciples of all nations. And I've always loved the term because it's it's a it's an educational term, and specifically uh, within the realm of, edu- of education, a mattheates is an apprentice. Uh, So we see Jesus, who's apprenticing his disciples. They live with him. They walk with him. They listen to him teach. They ask him questions. Uh, They pause life with him. They Sabbath with him. Uh, And what Jesus is saying is, I'm showing you how this is done. And um, remember, Jesus never said, I want you to join a church. He he really never said that to, uh, to any of the disciples because church wasn't something you joined church was who you are it's what i become as i as i follow jesus and learn his ways and begin you know through the holy spirit to emulate those ways and so when you look at early christianity you know through through the book of acts christianity is more of a movement than it is an organization it's more we like to say, of a, an organism than an organization. It's bodies of people meeting in homes, spread out, uh, concerned about their households, their neighbors, their community, and it is an unstoppable force. I mean, one of the things that stands out when you look at, when you look at uh, the book of Acts is just that replicative nature of Christianity. Uh, pastors didn't stand up in front of churches and say, "You know, we need to get out there into our community." The church just was part of the community, and, and in a very real, organic way, uh, folks were bringing other folks. Hey, I want you to, I want you to wrestle with this question: who, who do you think Jesus was? And and taking people into the scriptures. When does that change? When does that change? Well, most historians would say that that the church begins to shift from organism towards becoming more of an organization, what about the third century, right? Uh, the kind of the, the, the uh, you know, marking point for that is the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine. And as Constantine, uh, for the first time in the history of Rome, um, embraces Christianity, and, and, and in effect makes it the, the religion of the state, Uh, You start to have people um, who are going to come into the the church now. Uh, This idea of mathetes is starting to be replaced with what? This idea of organism is starting to be replaced with, well, we are going to need to build churches. And we're going to need to create some programs. And we're going to need to make sure that people are following these programs and so you you all of a sudden have this massive shift from uh this apprenticeships that are going on uh if you came into my house church and you did not know who jesus christ was i would walk walk with you for for some time Uh, we would spend a lot of time together Uh, i would do what jesus did with with his disciples but as we get into the constantinian uh, shift that's starting to change and What what begins to happen is you have all of these people who are coming into the church for the wrong reasons, right? Why do you want to to become part of this church? I want to become part of this church because it's kind of sets you up in Rome in a a good way. There's political expediency towards buying into Christianity. I want to emulate the, the emperor. So as you go back and you look at what's going on in that period of time, you, you realize that there were individuals um, who began to be a little bit unhappy with what was going on. Hey, wait a minute. This is not what the church is supposed to look at. We've got people coming now into this organization who don't seem to know a whole lot about Christianity or Jesus or his ways at all. They don't seem to. And uh, there arises up this... Uh, this this gentleman by the name of Hippolytus. And uh, Hippolytus, if you've ever seen drawings or old pictures of him, looks a little bit like one of the ZZ Top guys with the long beard. But I like to call him an angry ZZ Top guy because he's never smiled. I mean, Hippolytus, if he ever smiled in his life, I'd be surprised, right? He put his hammer down. Hey, wait a minute here. We are not going to just have all these people coming into the church. They don't know who Jesus is. We are going to set up a system that's going to be a little bit different. And Hippolytus, believe it or not, most people, most Christians don't know that name, but he became responsible for uh, what I would call establishing the roots of what we call confirmation today. In fact, uh, today, if I, if I enter into a Catholic church and I go through uh, the, the adult initiation into the church, com- confirmation, I really follow, uh, catechetically, the work of Hippolytus, still to this day. Um, Luther, when he writes his catechism, I think as Lutherans we, we somehow have that idea that, that this was one of his inventions, that he came up with the idea of a catechism. He did not. There right? uh, were many catechisms uh, in, in the time of Luther. Luther is simply writing a catechism because he looks at what's going on catechetically in the Catholic Church at that time and says, hey, wait a minute, we, we need to, to, to kind of re- rework this thing. Takes the, the Ten Commandments and, and the Apostles' Creed and zoop, switches them around because Luther's contention was, until the law does its work in our life, we have no need of a Savior. And so why are we beginning this process of knowing Jesus by talking about grace? We need to talk about the law first. And so Luther famously switches the two around. And of course, throughout the catechism, is raising up a different perspective when it comes to these chief parts that make it up up today. Hippolytus, in his time, if you wanted to get confirmed, third century, I want to enter into the church, uh, you would you would enter into a a application process. You would say, I, I want to become part of the church. Say, oh, you you would like to become part of the church? That's good. Here's an application. You fill this out. You'd fill it out. We were talking today about Facebook. How many of you have Facebooks? And if you have Facebook, i don't have Facebook. But if you have Facebook, what do you what is it you type in? What do you type? Ask in? To yeah. Walk. Yeah, fact-checker. And uh, here's what you'll find out. There's people who are fact-checking you. How many did you have fact-checking you? I had eight. She had 50. You had 50 fact-checking you? They're really watching you. <laughs> I'm giving you two applications to fill out because we're, we're a little bit worried, right? Uh, so, but actually, that's kind of what they did. They fact-checked you. So if you applied, hey, Dennis McCarty, I want to become part of this church. You fill out your application. We got your application. Thank you. We'll let you know. Yeah, they start talking to neighbors. It's like, Marv, do you know Dennis? And Marv goes, Marv goes, do no, I know Dennis? Oh, yeah, we met at the bar. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but once, you're, once you came into, okay, your application is, is kind of approved, then you came into what they did for confirmation. It was three years. And basically it took place uh, weekly as you came together with, with your instructor. And you began to ask questions. And they asked questions of you. And you went through uh, what was, at the time, the guts of, of what we'll call confirmation. At the end of that three-year process, you are now reevaluated. You are fact-checked again. And if you, if you were approved, then you could be baptized. And once you were baptized, uh, well, first, actually, before you get baptized, you have to, you have, to have an exorcism done on you. Uh, do we do that by the way in in our church? Do we do the exorcism part? Like were you like were you exercised before you got baptized? It's kind of a catchy phrase. Exercise before you baptize. <laughs> Here, here's the answer. Yes, you were. Because we retained it even in our Lutheran, even in our Lutheran liturgy for baptisms today, this is what it sounds like. The pastor stands in front of the parents and says, do you renounce the devil in all his and all his wicked wiggies and all his wicked worst?" than answer by saying, I do? Now, um, mm-hmm. they did it a lot more significantly than that, right? Uh, you would spit on the devil? I mean, you really would. You, <coughs> I renounce you, devil. And I, we don't do that any longer. The ladies Guilds. You better not be spitting on our carpets here in the church. I'm like, okay. Um, it Really, they they did. They would exercise you. Then they would baptize you. And then what would you become? When you got into the church, what would you become? You'd become a neophyte. They gave you a white robe. I mean, you, you would wear a white robe for one solid year after the three years because everybody in the church needed to know you're new. And everybody in the church said, they're, they're new here. Well, I've been going here for, for three years, and I got approved and fact-checked and all those things. Well, it doesn't matter. You're new. And we are here to walk with you and show you the ways of the church. Um, all of this to say, to kind of come back to this thing is, what about today? What does it mean? What does it mean to become? Do we become disciples of Jesus Christ? Do we, When we talk to people, do we say, hey, I want you to become a disciple of Jesus. Or do we say, hey, have you thought about joining a church? Which would we be more inclined to say today? What do you think? Yeah. I'm not sure that we talk as much today about, hey, would you like to become a disciple of Jesus Christ now? Hey, would you like to join a church? here's where it's gotten to today. Yes. What do I have to do? I'm going to give you this word. We want to do it fast because that's how our world works. I push a button, done. And um, so I'm not <clears throat> here to advocate for four years of confirmation for adults and fact checks and that kind of thing. But what I want to say is that when you really think about it, discipleship or coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that doesn't happen fast. Um, justification happens fast, me becoming one who is um, cleansed of my sin through the death of Jesus Christ. That happens fast, through faith. But becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, that, that actually is quite a lengthy process. And it was in the time that Paul is writing this letter. <clears throat> and he recognizes it. And so what we're reading is he's giving, he's giving to the, this, this church in Rome. We're getting towards the very end of this letter. He's giving to this church in Rome. Here's what it's going to mean for you to welcome people into the body. Uh, We we kind of stepped into this last week, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, with what I consider to be a very beautiful word that gives you a word picture. And the word is bastadzain. Okay doesn't stand out in your English Bible, but let me just read the verse again. We who are strong have an obligation to badstadzain translated in English, bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I like the the word picture, badstadzain, because it really gives you a better picture, I think, of what it means to help bring people into not church membership, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. Literally, the word has the imagery, and we, we talked about this last week, of carrying a child. How should I, I have this friend, they really don't know a whole lot about Christianity. What should I do? I should bring them to church, and then I'll tell the pastor, hey, you get them through this class, done. Now, bastadze. Walk with them. Uh, they're like a baby. Uh, you're going to carry them. Now, if you've ever carried a baby, you notice that the baby does certain things, right? There's times when the baby goes, Wah! and you're like, I, I'm, oh gosh, and you hand it to the mom real fast, and then you keep, you keep going. Now we get the baby says, I want to eat right now. When you're walking with somebody, is it you walk in a way that it's convenient for you, right? I mean, I've spent how many years in ministry? Too many years in ministry. You know, sitting back at my desk thinking, how, how can we make it convenient for people to serve on this committee? How can we make it convenient for people to go through this? Why? Because people, I don't want to do that, I don't want to go through all that. Jesus never talked anything about convenience. So he said it's like a baby you're going to be carrying. The baby cries. It's not, cries is the worst of times. It's not convenient at all. It's absolutely inconvenient. That, that's, what, that's what I'm asking to do. While you're carrying that baby, your back starts to hurt. No wonder I have such back problems. I carried two of them, right? With, with those doggone chairs that they make you put in the, in the car now, baby seats, you carry one of those in both hands, and you're like, oh, oh, get them in there. Pretty soon, you're walking like this, your son says, what happened to your back? You did. <laughs> you did this to me, right? Um, is, it, is, it, is it easy to carry a baby around? No. When you're changing a diaper, some of you have experienced this, right? You pull that diaper off, they hit you with one, with a stream, if you know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh my, does this come with a deal too? Yes, this comes with a deal too. This is kind of the picture that that Paul is using. He's not saying, hey, you know, let's help people join the church and, you know, you want to do it in a way that is convenient for you and convenient for them. No, actually, discipleship, following Jesus Christ, is going to, cause this person to meet the Word of God, the words of God, which will be very hard for them I have been following Jesus for a long time and, and I will say that there's, there's, there's probably not a week that passes when I don't open something up in the Bible and find myself reading it and wanting to argue with God like, really? I have to do this I, I don't want to do this we do. It's hard. And when we give people the impression, hey, come join the church, no. Do you want to follow Jesus Christ? This, this is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy. This, actually, the only way this is going to ever happen in your life is Jesus Christ will have to put to death that desire that you have inside of yourself for you to be Him, for you to be God, for you to determine your life. It's hard on the person, and it's hard on you. Uh, I have walked with many a, many a person who is becoming a follower of Jesus Christ it is not easy. Uh, there's times that, that you know what this person is driving me insane, and God says, "Bastidzain, walk with them, carry them, not not convenience." And so I really like the fact that 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 Paul's beginning with this this kind of a word to our to to us. This is the picture he's painting because he's getting ready to send the church out into Rome. And you're going to meet up with a whole group of people who are different than you, who live life differently. They, this is not about, you know, pleasing yourself. It's about serving, serving God. Verse number two continues that. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Uh, I translate it a little bit differently. Uh, let each one of us live into our neighbor live into our neighbor towards their becoming part of the household live into your neighbor in other words pour yourself into them uh, you're asking the question not, not what's convenient for me but what do they need how can I walk with you in a way that, that allows you to enter into uh, this household uh, by the way that's, that's the term for build him up It's so it means to enter into the household of God um, God is the one building him up um, again I just think about uh, what, that, what that means it says Christ, verse 3 he didn't please himself he didn't say oh, you know I was going to go to the cross but I got a few other things I need to do first uh, or you know what you people have been um, cursing me, spitting on me whipping me, I'm not going to the cross for you, no but he did what? It says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I, I received reproach on your behalf. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have, have hope. I was asked this question. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to walk with people? How am I supposed to do this? Is your, if, I, if I'm sitting in the church in Rome and, and Paul is sending me out, how do we do this? What, where do I find my strength? And he's telling us, through the scriptures, they will do two things. They will give you endurance, and they will encourage you. See those two words? They appear twice. Through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live. That's what the scriptures do. For me, the the one who is church, who is going out. When you look at endurance, what is it? Hupomone is the word. And I always say, Hupo is easy. That's that's like a hypodermic needle that goes under to the skin. Hupo underneath, mone. I always tell people, just listen to the word itself, mone, moaning. You're under the moan. You're under This world is under a curse. And what scripture tells us is it speaks truth into us. And it helped me realize, wait a minute. These the people that I love, that, that we're bringing into, discipleship with, with Jesus Christ that are becoming it. Is this going to be easy? No. We're all underneath a curse. And scriptures teach me that and help me understand that. They also encourage me. Now, the word encouragement is not like a cheerleader word. It's what par kaleo, we've, we've heard the word many times in this class, para towards kaleo, our calling. What, what, what I always think of is scripture teaches me that discipling another person it's not a job. It's not something that happens like a quick fix. It's not me being, you know, being. Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna. I'm gonna help this person. It's what. This is a calling that God has given to us, and that God is now placing on this other person. And uh, and so, scripture is key, is central, to what it means to um, disciple another person, as it brings us. Look again at verse number five into harmony with one another and into accord with Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're after. We're after being a, a single body of people who are walking in step, in accord with Jesus Christ. That's what we're, that's what we're after. That's the end result, the end goal. We are, we are walking together, step by step, with Jesus Christ. Why? Because through his scriptures, we have, we have learned what it means to live under the curse. We have learned what it means to receive his calling and then he ends that off, verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you see the word glory or glorify, it means you are, you are recognizing the presence of God. If I say, I want to give glory to God, I, I don't become like a Pentecostal person. I go, glory, God! That's not what that means. To give glory to God is to recognize His presence. You've got to recognize you're here. You're, you're part of my life. You're, in, you're inside and with me." Um, I, just, I just love, love those words. And, and again, come back to the idea that it is not easy to achieve. This is the work of God in us, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he closes out this, this first part of 15 with these words, therefore, uh, welcome and, and a better word might be receive one another as Christ has received you, again, for the glory of God, in a way that recognizes his, his presence. He's the only one that will cause you to do that. Any of you guys know Ted Cruz? Lion Ted Cruz? You guys know Lion Ted? Or you know that name? Yeah? I like Lion Ted Cruz. Um, I was sitting in a dentist office in Texas a few years ago. And I uh, started talking to this couple. Uh, we were just waiting. And um, I asked them, some, you know, what do you do? And they told me what they, they did. He was a pastor, this guy. I'm like, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. And we got to talking about that. He says, you may know my son, Ted. And so, what what, what, is your, what does Ted do? Well, he's, he's in politics. And I said, what's your last name? Cruz. Like oh yeah I know I know he wasn't Lion Ted at that point it was just Ted I like Lion Ted he's uh, he's not really Lion um, he's, he's telling the truth these days and I was watching him I, I just read these words in fact therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you therefore receive one another as Christ has received you I just read those words and and I was watching saw this clip of Ted Cruz and he was on the floor uh, and he was. He was talking to people about uh, Black Lives Matter. And I love the way that he did. He says, you know what? I'm gonna just put this on the table. Do Black Lives Matter? Absolutely they matter. Absolutely they matter. He says, but I'm not gonna talk to you about whether they matter or not. I'm gonna talk to you about the organization called Black Lives Matter. It's two different things. Don't, don't, Don't equate the same thing. There are two different things. He says, so let's look at the organization. So he takes out these. He says, I'm just reading right from the organization itself. He says, we, we are an organization that wants to defund America. And he asked people sitting around him, all these different politicians, he goes, are, who is in favor of defunding America? And you just watched all of these people, these politicians, get up and start leaving. They're all walking out. And I thought, you know why? First of all, they don't want, it. does anybody really want to hear the truth? Not really. No, I don't want to hear that. Well, I'm not, I didn't make this up. The, the people that put this organization together made it up. I didn't make this idea up. They did. We want to defund America. Any, any of you politicians who are voted for by Americans, any of you want to any of you want to def, defund America, I'm just I just put my head down and walk out. And I thought, the, la- the last place on earth that people receive one another as Christ has received you is on the floor of the Senate or the House Representatives. Isn't that right? And it just reminded me, po- politics does not have the power to bring people into unity with one another. Not, not in any way, shape, or form. In fact, unity is, is, is really just a word that gets thrown out again and again and again. And I think what people really mean by unity is just, tr- just try to get along. Try not to kill each other. Try, you know, try to just at least sit each, uh, beside each other and not say things that are, 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 are obviously painfully bad. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He says, this is what I, here's what happens when you come into the body of, of Christ and you want people to come into the body of Christ. It, it's what we receive one another good, bad, and ugly, all of it. Because we come to know each other and we come to know each other underneath the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about who he's speaking this to in the church. You're going to go out into a world where there are people who are very different than you. Who have addictions in their life and ideas in their life that are, are horrible. They're antithetical. Antithetical to who Jesus is. When you meet people, recognize that first of all, my my hope, my desire, Jesus would say, "I I made them. I made all of these people, and I made them for myself. My desire is for them to come into relationship with me." Now, when they come into relationship with me, the very next day, do all their addictions just go away? All, All all of their ideologies, do they just go away? All of their bad habits, they just all go, no, they don't. So to carry like a baby, to walk with a person, to receive another person as Jesus received us. Listen, Jesus didn't receive me after he's, he he doesn't say, I'll receive you after you get your life in order. No. I I receive you through the cross, and I'm, I'm going to change you. And guess what, that change process is going to take a long walk with, Jesus Christ. Paul's sending the, the, the church out into the community. And, and many of the folks who are, are listening to this, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a Jew, what am I thinking? Those people out there are what? Ugh. I can hardly believe that we're even doing, we're going to go out and welcome Gentiles into the church? Uh-huh. Why? That's, the whole, that's been the idea the whole time. It's what God wants. He made every person. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Brown lives—they all matter to Jesus Christ. Everybody is what we're souls, and God says, "I want to—I want to bring him into my body." And so He's really appealing to the church to do something that I—I I shared this last week, and I'll do it again. I think it's really hard for the church to do. I really do think it's hard for the church to do because we tend to have something inside of us that says, "Well, you're—you're you're welcome." And we want to receive you into this body here as long as, and then we kind of have that gate that we put up, as long as you are not this or you don't think that, or you... And no, the only way people will change is as you walk with them, as I walk with them, with the scriptures, (laughs) under the moan, under the brokenness of this world, and under the cross of Jesus Christ, which brings us hope. We can read those words so superficially. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Well, we need greeters then. So superficially. Like, no, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about embracing people who are different than you and committing yourself. Not when it's convenient, but committing yourself to walking with those with, with another person, into what we call, or what Jesus called, Mathechus, uh, discipleship. And um, I will tell you that it is, it is hard uh, for the church. It's what Jesus did. If you go to verse number eight, it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant. diakana is the word here. To the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. I just stopped there for a minute. Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Who, who are the circumcised? What group of people? Yeah, the Jews. Did the Jews love Jesus? He murdered him on a cross. Right? Uh, Jesus. What did Jesus say? I became a servant for you. I came, I came underneath the covenant that has been was made made to you already in the garden. I desire for you to be saved. I know you're trying to kill me. I know you have hatred in you. I know you've taken my word and have destroyed it and turned it into law. I desire to save you, to rescue you. Jesus became a servant. Why? Because it confirms the promises that the patriarchs spoke. And here's the big here's the big word, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify, again, recognize the presence of God for his mercy. That's that's why Jesus said, I became a servant. Um, What Jesus is calling us to is that idea of what does it mean then for me to be that diakonon, that servant. Uh, to those, again, who I might see as not worthy of or not right to become part of his body. In this case, the Gentiles. And then he writes these words, as it is written. Why, why are those words important? As it is written. Why are they important? Now, confirmation of this, is. I'm not going to just tell you what I believe, right? As it was written. Am I making this up? Paul would say, am I making this up? Is this new to you that the Gentiles should be coming into the church? No, it was written a long time ago. Well, who wrote it? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me, let me just share with you who wrote it. We'll go through these and then we'll come to a close. He says, uh, first of all, David did. Now, Jews, they, they esteemed David, Right? So this very first word comes from Psalm 18, verse 49. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. David, before he died, proclaimed the fact that, guess what? The Gentiles will be proclaiming the name of God. This isn't new. Paul is saying to the church. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Remember where that's written. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy was written by who? Moses. David said it. Oh, by the way, Moses said it. Moses proclaimed the fact that the Gentiles would rejoice in the name of the Savior. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles and let all the peoples extol him. Psalm 117. Again, David is the one who speaks these words. Oh, and by the way, if you don't like David or Moses, how about Isaiah? Verse 12. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse. Who's the root of Jesse? It's Jesus. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And so what what he's doing, he's saying again and again and again, um, what I'm telling you isn't new. This has been God's plan all along. It's, it may feel new to you; you didn't grow up with it. But we're going out and into a world that is primarily Rome, primarily Gentile. And uh, in fact, uh, as as the church begins to grow in Rome, uh, we get to see really almost a miracle take place as uh, synagogues begin to be converted and and become Christian, as well as many Gentiles who are coming into, uh, into the church. And this is Paul, again, getting, getting ready to push the church out into the world. Um, he, he prays uh, in verse 13, almost a conclusion to the, it, it is written. He says, may the God of hope fill you. I, I hope that you're filled up by him. I can't fill you up, but he'll fill you up with joy. I want this to be a joy to you. And peace. I want him to give you his peace. in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And isn't it always true, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have hope, that we find ourselves in a place of peace, that we find ourselves joyfully able to say, look what God is doing as he brings people into his church. <clears throat> we'll um, pick up with verse 14 as we feel Paul beginning to close out this letter and, uh, and we'll see that as we get into 15 and uh, uh, move towards the end of this, this chapter. Let's, let's pray. Lord God as we close out today again I, I'm just reminded that it is so we're so culturally bound and not just secularly but we're culturally bound spiritually. We see the church, we perceive the church through lenses that maybe go all the way back to the third century. And in some senses, we've forgotten. Make disciples. Make disciples. We want things to be quick. We want them to be convenient. We're not sure about people who hold certain ideas or, or beliefs. We're a mess. And God, I, I, do, I do believe that what your words to the, the church in Romans were are words that we need to hear. Help us to receive others into your body the way you have received us and to walk, to walk with people towards what it means to belong to you. Lord, uh, this is a new week. Uh, we do lift up Macy. We lift up Micah, her husband. Kirk, Kathy, the Kroger family. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would be merciful and gracious to her this day. Sustain her and keep her. Protect her from any loss of oxygen. Keep her her brain in your hands. And, Lord, um, stabilize her body. We're, We're just praying for her. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. God be with you in the